to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW's show where we go over the biggest (laughs) events from the week. And man, how about this week? I feel like every week we pop on here and say that there is plenty to talk about, but there is no exaggeration with that. This week was incredible in terms of news that broke, stories that dropped, It was just crazy. Some of it involved injuries. Some of it involved transfer rumors. It has been absolutely insane. Right around the Bayern Munich campus, everything seems to be (laughs) spiraling out of control. But we are here to try and capture that, to go over it, and give you our pulse as to what is going on with the team, how things are progressing, and how to handle all of this news that you have heard over the past week. So, Let's jump right into it, and we will start with the five things that we learned over the course of this week. It probably could be expanded up to 50 this week, but we'll keep it to five, and we will talk about first the injuries that happened. Uh, obviously, the biggest one of a lot, because it is the most serious, is Nicholas Sula. He'll be out three to four weeks with a thigh injury. Looks like it was a slight tear to his thigh muscle. Of course, this will probably put him out for the Champions League quarterfinals. We will find out on Friday, which is tomorrow. I'm recording on a Thursday, exactly who Bayern Munich will be playing. And as a side note, stay tuned for our reaction show to the UCL draw. So after listening to the weekend warm up, make sure you hit that one up to see our reaction, see and hear our reactions to who Bayern drew in the Champions League. But as for Sula, This is disastrous news for him to be out three to four weeks to potentially miss both legs of the Champions League quarterfinals. It is so tough because I think Sula has been just so important to Bayern Munich's back line this season. I think he had settled in nicely with Benjamin Pavar and Luca Hernandez to really solidify things. I know there's been some defensive breakdown since that threesome has come together, but it's been markedly better than when Dio Upamakano was part of the mix. And I think that that threesome was really headed towards stabilizing things uh, for the, for the rest of the season. So this is really unfortunate in terms of timing. Uh, Sula of course will be heading to Borussia Dortmund after the season. So his days as a Bayern Munich player are winding down. And unfortunately he'll be spending the next month or so on the sidelines. It is a killer. It is an absolute killer. It doesn't mean that, Bayern Munich cannot advance in the Champions League? Does it mean that Bayern Munich is going to fade in the Bundesliga title race? No. Uh, Bayern has enough depth to cover it, but they are certainly not as stable and certainly not as good without him. So this is one of those instances where a player leaving the club, like we saw last season with Jerome Boateng and David David Alaba, those players can be so integral to the current team's success and uh, just losing Sula for this stretch is is going to certainly make things interesting, particularly if Bayern ends up drawing either Man City or Liverpool, two teams that could really test Bayern's back line uh, in, in a big way. So we'll see what happens with Sula, but he wasn't the only one who suffered an injury this week. Robert Lewandowski uh, suffered a minor injury in training. He's been uh, working out individually since that happened and It's unclear at this point if Lewandowski will play. I think we're all assuming that he will play this weekend against Union Berlin, but uh, it remains to be seen if Bayern will roll him out. Eric Eric Maxim Chupo-Moting is also injured, and there has been very little released as of yet as to what is going on with him. 
But uh, this presents an interesting situation for Julian Nagelsmann because if Lewandowski and Chupo are both out, it looks like he would turn to Serge Gnabry as the striker up top of the formation. But uh, certainly this is not an optimal time of the season to be scrambling around trying to cover for injuries. Uh, but this seems to be the way things go at Bayern Munich. Of course, last season, we all remember that Robert Lewandowski was out against PSG and that was a, it was a killer. It was. So hopefully we don't get to see these same type of results that we got last season, but uh, certainly it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Nicholas Sewell's injury, of course, is just a, a tough one for the squad to deal with. The second thing that we learned this week, speaking of Sula, is that Bayern Munich's list of potential transfer targets to replace Sula has not really changed, despite the fact it's shortening day by day. So we do know that Andreas Christensen is allegedly nearing a deal with FC Barcelona. So that will essentially take him out of the mix. He was Bayern Munich's plan A. We know that Gleison Bramer, who is Torino's young center back, is on the verge of signing with Inter Milan, if reports are true. So that essentially takes him out of the mix. So that leaves Bayern Munich looking at a couple of options that might not excite fans. Or maybe they will, who knows. But Number one on that list would be Matthias Ginter, and he's mostly number one because he's a free transfer, which is kind of a red flag to me because center back is a very important position. And given how Dio Upamakano has looked this season, I think it's fair to say that it's unclear if Upamakano is going to be able to make that leap to being a starting caliber center back at Bayern Munich. It's not that he doesn't have the talent or potential to do it. Just has not looked good. I think we're all now that we're all seeing his game a little bit closer. He's got a lot of flaws. He's got some things he needs to work on. Doesn't mean that he can't get there. But we've all seen this before with good players who come to Bayern Munich. Sometimes the brights shine. The lights shine a little too brightly for some players. You like that uh, tongue twister there for me. Of course, I have not had enough coffee this morning to uh, aptly <laughs> go that route with trying to work through rhyming. So. Uh, the bottom line for me is with Ginter, he is a player that Byron might actually have to sign just because he is free and can provide depth and can give you some versatility. And that won't excite fans. And we know that. And we've talked about it many times here. It's just one of those things where it, it makes sense from a logistics standpoint, even if it doesn't really raise the excitometer up uh, any notches. Excitometer, new word. Um, the second player that uh, that Bayern Munich is still being linked to, but it's just very loose at this time is Nico Schlotterbeck. And of course, Schlotterbeck will cost something. And that cost is believed to be anywhere from 20 to 20 million to 30 million euro. And that's a big deterrent for Bayern Munich at this point. They do not want to spend any money. I can't see any way to pry Schlotterbeck from SC Freiburg at this point, unless you're going to pay that fee. It looks like Dortmund is considering paying that fee. Uh, and that would be a very interesting deal for them. It would be incredible to see them revamp their back line with both Sula and Schlotterbeck, two players that could be the central figures in Bayern Munich's, or I'm sorry, Germany's future on the back line in international play. Uh, that would certainly make things interesting. So I personally would start to weigh exactly how much you can get Schlotterbeck for and start to figure out you know, is this the kind of player you want to invest in? Does it make sense to try and get him now? 
and buck up that fee just to get him in tow. And, and one of the reasons I'm starting to think that way is we're starting to see these whispers about Luca Hernandez potentially wanting to move back to La Liga. And honestly, if that happens, if, if Hernandez decides that he wants to make that step back to La, La Liga and head back to Spain and have a, a nice career there, I mean, he, by all means, he's got every right to do that, but it's going to leave Bayern Munich's back line uh, hanging quite a bit to lose Alaba, to lose Boateng, to lose Sula, and then potentially to lose Hernandez, whether it would be this summer or next summer, that would be just an immense blow for very talented players. It doesn't even include going back to when Bayern Munich lost Mats Hummels at the time, which was a very tough loss at that point as well. This is an extremely vital point in Bayern Munich's, uh, I, I don't want to say history, but it's an extremely vital point for their squad planning at this point, because they need to really sort out what the future of this back line is going to be with Hernandez. If he's not totally committed and he might leave, it's almost as if you have to start to look to sell him. Now waiting has not worked out for Bayern Munich. So if there is a discussion with Hernandez and he is open about wanting to leave, Bayern might have to explore after this season seeing what they can get for Hernandez on the open market market. He certainly will not have a lack of suitors aside of the La Liga teams that would be interested in him. uh, There are just numerous premier league squads that would want Hernandez as well. So that might be something that Bayern Munich has to look into would not be optimal, but I don't think the club can afford to keep going down this road with players and risk losing them for free transfers. If it's clear he wants to leave and you can make some money for him and maybe turn some of that money into Schlotterbeck, I think you have to do it. You know, the wild card, of course, is Upa Meccano because if he was everything that Bayern Munich was believed he could be as a center back, none of this would be that big of a deal. You'd have a natural replacement for Sula. You'd have a little more stability and the confidence that if you lost someone like Luca Hernandez, you'd be able to replace him aptly with someone else. It's, it's just not the way it is at this point. It could evolve to that. Maybe Upa Makano can improve to the point where he becomes a dependable starter. But at this stage, it, it's an open book. We don't know exactly what we're going to get from him, uh, not just on a game-by-game basis, but really season-to-season at this point. His development and how he adjusts to Bayern Munich are really going to be uh, a couple of the ongoing storylines that fans will have to keep on top of. The third member of that uh, trifecta at center back would be Benjamin Pavar, who has actually been pretty good. I mean, he's not perfect, but I think he is sliding into that slot nicely and has done well. But whoever Byron resorts to, whether it's Ginter or Schlotterbeck or someone else, they're going to have to have some stability to be able to offer. I don't want to say like we don't, Bayern Munich would not need a, a stand, standout ace performer necessarily. They need just someone that's going to minimize mistakes, be solid, and be able to not be uh, the type of player that collapses under the pressure of not just the game, but also playing in Bayern Munich. So what happens on that back line is going to be very interesting. And uh, I don't know at this point, I couldn't even guess how this is going to go. I still think Ginter is the leader in the clubhouse because he's cheap. Um, but I don't know. I mean, there are so many things could, that could happen. And those recent stories about Hernandez potentially wanting to leave might actually open things up a little more for Bayern Munich and push them to maybe spend some money they don't necessarily want to spend at this point.
the third thing that we learned this week, and this was the big one. This was one of the biggest stories of the week. It wasn't quite the biggest, but it was one of the biggest. And that was that Julian Nagelsmann is not quite happy with his roster. And man, this sounds eerily similar to the complaints that Hansi Flick had. Now, according to the stories that we saw, Nagelsmann is not quite in a combative stand, uh, a combat, a combative place with Brazo yet when it comes to squad planning. All the personalities are getting along. It's just that Nagelsmann doesn't feel like he has the right players on the roster to run his system. And of course, his system has been one of the most debated things uh, about Bayern Munich this season. Nagelsmann wants to run that back three. He wants to be able to use wingbacks. Currently doesn't have any wingbacks available that could really be starting caliber. Uh, of course, when Alfonso Davies is cleared of his myocarditis issue, he would be one of them. But even when Davies comes back, there is no right wing back on this roster at this point. It's really just a makeshift position being filled by wingers or uh, just about anyone with a pulse who can fill that spot. So it's it's not been ideal for Nagelsmann. Of course, Nagelsmann also wanted to make some winter transfers to help shake the roster up and was uh, soundly rejected in his overtures for that. So there's definitely something, some type of whether it's a mini schism or just even a little gap between the coaching staff and what they want and the front office and what they can provide, or at least what they think they can provide. And it's not lining up. And I've pointed to this several times. While you have excellent quality in the Roy Sané and Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry, if the wing position is not going to be used by Nagelsmann for the immediate future, and whether that's his future here is two years, five years, whatever, I don't get the, the investment in the position. Now, Sané is what it is. He was here and already signed. He had a relatively new deal. There's nothing you could do about that. Coman, the club, opted to sign to an extension. I'm assuming that there had to be some kind of connection on how Coman would be used. And of course, at this point, he's been primarily used as a wing back, which will not be the case in the future, I'm sure. So that would push him into the attacking midfield mix with Thomas Muller, Serge Gnabry, Leroy Sané, Paul Bonner, potentially Jamal Musiala. I mean, they're just a ton, right? And to be honest, other than Muller and Jamal Musiala, there really aren't many other naturals for that position. Maybe Vonner. He'll be starting as a 10, although the club sees him as an eight in the long run. But regardless, how Byron manages these personalities, manages these players who are essentially going to be out of position is really going to be key. And I think that that, like, if I had to guess, and I had to jump into Julian Nagelsmann's brain, as scary as that might be, I, I might really wonder why there's this huge investment, not just in terms of financial investment, but what these players require in terms of playing time it, it, for a group that really might not have a role in the system. Um, you know, Thomas Muller obviously is aging, right? We all know that, but it looks like he's got one to two years where he's going to be solid and set and, and be able to at least keep that position rolling. So there's one spot. Jamal Musiala has been moved back deeper as more of an eight, but when Leon Goretzka comes back, Musiala will then be forced to the bench. And if you're like me, you always saw Musiala as more of an attacker. And if you can't use Musiala as a wing, heck, he, he would be a hell of a, 
uh, an attacking midfield option. So I'm just not quite sure about this alignment. And I think that's what is causing Nagelsmann all the strife. I think he's got these players that he knows don't really have a position in his system. And while they are talented and valuable and extremely good, it's going to make it very difficult for him to get the most out of his system if he doesn't have the right pieces to plug in. And I think that is going to be an ongoing issue. I think eventually we're going to get to a point where some of these players are going to be unhappy. We've already seen some stories referencing that Gnabry is not happy having to go out and play wing back. So where does Gnabry want to play? Does he want to be one of those tens? Does he want to be an attacking midfielder in a three, four, two, one? There's going to be plenty of competition there. And it's, that's the thing. When you have Muller and you have Sané and you have Coman and you have Gnabry and you have Vonner, and you potentially have Musiala, all of those, and you have Gabriel Vidovich next season. I mean, all of these players for two spots, I, I don't know. And that doesn't even include Sabitzer, who has become a forgotten man around here. He could, he could potentially fill one of those spots as well uh, because he's certainly not breaking through at the six or the eight anytime soon. There is just so much going on and there are so many bodies. It just puzzles me as to how Bayern Munich is putting itself in this, into this position and spending a lot of money to put itself into this position. Listen, I'm a huge, huge fan of Kingsley Kaman and Serge Gnabry and Leroy Sané, right? I value them as players. I think they have all been good this season. Gnabry maybe not as good as the other two uh, because of his, his consistency issues. But I, it does make me wonder how you can make all of this talent work going forward if you're eliminating those wing positions. And that is a big question for Nagelsmann. And it'll be very interesting to see how he can work with Brazo to get the players he needs to be successful for his system to work while also keeping these other players happy. And I just don't know in the long run if that's even going to happen or if it's possible. It's just, it's just crazy to me to think that Byron is putting itself in this position, committing so much money to players who, whose roles may be diminished as the manager shifts to a, a new system. And, and, you know, similarly, we saw, you know, a story this week that the club doesn't want to pay more than 20 million for a right wing back. That's great. Who are you going to get for 20 million or less to aptly fill that role and be consistent and be an impact player? If you need someone for that role, it's not just something you, you want, you need it. Because right now on the roster, there's no one that can fill that void. And if you're looking at Bunasar, you're looking in the wrong place. If you're looking for Gnabry or Coman or even Sané to go try and fill a right wing back role on a permanent basis, I, I think you're barking up the wrong tree too. I don't think any of those three players really want to do that or would be able to do it successfully over the course of a season, especially in big games. So Nagelsmann's unhappiness, alleged unhappiness with the roster is something that fans and the club should probably keep an eye on because these are some of the same things that we had heard going all the way back to Nico Kovac, not being able to get the players he wanted to run his system, to Hansi Flick when he couldn't get players that he wanted to help fill out and bolster the system he wanted to run. There's a divide there. And regardless of what anyone says, there's definitely a gap between what the front office wants and thinks and what the coaching staff wants and thinks. And unless those two sides can get aligned, it's going to be very difficult 
for Byron to really make progress as an organization. So, uh, yeah, listen, Byron is an immensely talented team. They have an exceptional group of people running the club. They have a good coaching staff, but everything has to be simpatico for this to work and for Byron to achieve the goals that it has. And at this point, it's starting to get very tough to believe that everyone is going to be able to get aligned enough to make all of that happen on a, on a consistent basis in the years coming. So we'll see what happens with that. The fourth thing that we learned this week, and this is a, a big one because it involves Erling Holland, is that he is extremely close, per reports, to inking a deal with Manchester City. Some reports even say he'll make upwards of $35 million per season, which would be insane uh, despite his talent level. I mean, that's just an immense number for a kid who's just 21. And while he has all the potential in the world, all the physical skills, he's, he's got a pretty decent size injury history at this point. And while that would not preclude me if I were a front office executive from, from bringing him in, I would think if you're going to invest 35 million euro or so in him, you might want to, I don't know, proceed with caution because this is a kid who's consistently been injured. And I have been the person touting him for Bayern Munich. And I still would, if Bayern Munich had a chance to sign him, I would absolutely do it. I think that's a move you have to make. And, you know, related to that, we've seen this week, the stories come out and some people uh, might throw some some shade at them. And some people might be skeptical of Janosch Fortoff, Fortoff, who has said that uh, Byron absolutely is interested in, in Holland. Now we know with Fjortoff, he has been a mouthpiece for the Holland family. Uh, undoubtedly, he is, he's got the connection there and he has kind of been the person they've went to to drop any leaks that they want to drop to the media. And he has done a great job of facilitating those generating interest and pointing this conversation the way that the Holland family wants it to go. Uh, So I I don't doubt that Bayern Munich is interested in in Holland, but that interest will certainly diminish or go away completely. If there is a a hard line, 35 million Euro per season salary requirement, because Bayern will not pay that. We also saw this week that Bayern is instituting a self-imposed cap of 25 million euro per season as the highest salary it will pay to any player. That could become an obstacle in the next story that we'll discuss. But for the purposes of Holland, uh, unless Holland would want to come back down and maybe lessen his demands, it would be very difficult to see Bayern Munich being a player for him. But if Holland goes to City, man, that will be an incredible attack. And if he can stay healthy, that would absolutely be the type of move that would push Pep Guardiola's side over the top. And it's funny to say that because they've been so good for so long under Pep. But in the UCL, in the UCL they've had their problems. And while we don't know how this season will play out just yet, uh, Holland is the type of player that can carry a team. He's such a force physically and is just relentless in, in scoring and getting to the net that he could really be the difference maker on that Man City side. So uh, if that happens, if if Holland formally moves to City, that would be just uh, such a shift of the power, of the balance of power in European football. I, I don't know that the rest of the continent would be able to uh, to really be able to combat what would happen there. But 
Bayern Munich's interest in Holland, uh, I do believe, is legitimate. It's just really about numbers and what happens with Lewandowski. Um, you know, as much as I would love to see the two guys working together up top of a three-four-one-two formation, it doesn't appear that that's ever going to happen. And uh, it's it's just one of those things where when you look at a player like Holland and you look at a player like Lewandowski. Uh, you know, Byron's is going to have to make a choice. And it appears as of now that while they are, you know, kicking the tires on Holland a bit, um, part of that just might be leverage for dealing with Lewandowski. So we will continue to follow Holland's saga because it looks like it's really go. It could break within days or weeks of where he's going to go. And the fallout from that will certainly have an effect on our next story, which involves, you guessed it, Robert Lewandowski. And of course, Lewandowski will kick off that fifth thing that we learned this week. And what we learned was he's feeling a little bit disrespected. And this is also a common theme, something that we heard Nicholas Sula talk about, that he felt underappreciated by the club. And apparently the cause of this disrespect that Lewandowski is feeling is that the club has not reached out to him and contacted him. And this was corroborated by his own agent, Pini Zahavi, who said Byron has not reached out. And of course, when these stories all, all started to flood the, the, the news cycle, and we saw from Kerry Howe and Janosch Forshoft and Christian Falk, we had all the big players hitting in and giving their accounts. And to be honest, they all kind of had the same theme that Lewandowski uh, is open to staying at Bayern Munich. He could work something out, but the club is, has been reluctant to really kickstart negotiations. Now, why would they be hesitant, right? Because, Obviously, Lewandowski's great. Could be the best player in the world. If you ask me, he certainly is. But, um, you know, he's getting up there in age. So the common storyline has been that while Byron is interested in Erling Holland, they do want to get a deal done with Robert Lewandowski. But the Holland saga is sort of driving what happens with Lewandowski because if Holland capitalizes and gets that salary that he wants, that $35 million, that could drive up Lewandowski's price. And of course, we just referenced Bayern instituting a 25 million euro cap on salary. So this whole thing gets extremely complicated when Bayern Munich could potentially have no leverage in dealing with Lewandowski. Once Haaland goes off the market and he gets whatever deal he gets and the salary figures start to leak out, Bayern Munich instantly has zero leverage in dealing with Lewandowski because at that point, Haaland is not available and Haaland is really the only acceptable replacement for Lewandowski. And everyone knows this. This is not a secret. It doesn't matter who you get or who else is available. It's either Holland or nothing to replace Lewandowski. So if you formally lose your opportunity to get Holland, and if you cannot pay the salary that Lewandowski demands it, and there's nothing to say that he won't demand something upwards of 30 million or 35 million. What do you do? Where do you turn? Who can you possibly get to replace him? It's, it's crazy. Uh, and I, I think at some point, once this starts to really kind of settle and we get an idea of what's going on, I might write something up of potential options should, uh, should, should, the, should things really devolve to a point where Lewandowski looks like he's leaving and Holland is not available. Uh, if, if you want my mind, I think you'd, ha- if you want to really pick my mind, you'd really have to, I think, look at getting creative and look at, at some of the players and that 
have worked with Nagelsmann in the past, some of the formations that he's used and and really trying to see how you can make something work. And yes, if you, if you think there's an underlying theme of bringing Timo Werner to Bayern Munich, you're right. You're reading my mind. Cause I think that if all of this happens and Bayern somehow ends up without Lewandowski and without a chance to get Holland, I think you'd have to start looking at Werner. You'd have to start looking at Kai Havertz uh, as players that you might want to pursue. And it would be incredibly hard to get Havertz. Werner probably could be accessible. You probably could get him. Havertz is, is starting to excel and starting to build his own name and brand in England. And it's, uh, it's going to be very difficult. The only thing that could potentially uh, come into play as Chelsea's uncertain status with their ownership and some of the moves that they can make. Uh, but, you know, Lewandowski's future it, it, it is really like, it's, it's so related to what happens with Bayern Munich in the next few years here. If there is no Lewandowski and if there is no Holland, Bayern Munich loses a, a, a lot of bite from their offense for one, but a lot of legitimacy as well. Now there are two lines of thinking here. One People that panic are like Bayern Munich will not be be an elite club any longer, and there's a, there is some merit to that. So our own I need no name commented about that, and uh, I don't really have an argument against that, right? So Bayern Munich is always going to be Bayern Munich; they're always going to be a power club. But I think I need no name is right in the fact that if you lose Lewandowski, there is no replacement. There is no one to really carry the weight of the club in those big matches. And like it or not, Lewandowski draws so much attention. He is the marquee player. Without that type of presence, I can see why I need no name would say something like that. And then on the other end, you have the people like our own Philip Quinn or RLD who both think that Bayern Munich is Bayern Munich. They're always going to be this this overbearing presence on world football and no matter who they have, they will always be a powerhouse. I also see the merit in that as well, because I do get that, that Bayern Munich has always been about its collective and not so much about its individual superstars, that the collection of talent and the, and the Mia San Mia mentality have always seemed to overcome. So there are two valid, valid arguments on how this could all play out. For fans, it's going to be maddeningly frustrating, irritating, nervy. This whole thing is nuts. And I understand, like, I have described this as transfer misery porn because it really is. Like, this is crazy to me that you could conceivably have the world's best player right now and potentially have the best young striker in the world as a, as a contingency plan and then end up with neither of them. And if that happens... It will absolutely be crazy on our site, I'm sure. It will be crazy on social media. And uh, it's not something I think any of us would look forward to, but we will be here to cover it all. So with Lewandowski, we'll see how this situation evolves. I still kind of think there's going to be a deal worked out, but the longer this drags on and the less contact or the lack of contact that continues to happen between the front office and its star player, uh, it's not a good thing. It's not a good look, certainly. And it's it's not helping relations at this point. So that is about all we got this week. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bag the entertainment news since the, the five news items went on so long. But uh, again, as always, every download and listen you guys give is appreciated. Um, you know, make sure that you check out our preview show, which was recorded before the Nicholas Sula injury news came out, unfortunately. 
but also uh, stay tuned for our UCL, uh, UCL, I keep to say UCLA college in, in California, um, our Champions League draw reaction, which will be interesting because who knows how that will go. And the reactions definitely could vary depending on who Bayern Munich is uh, matched up with. So that'll be a lot of fun. As always, you can get me on Twitter at the Barrel Blog. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get Tom Adams at Tommy Adams 71. You can get Jake at Jefferson Fenner. You can always get Samarin and Schnitzel on the blog with the post that they write. So thanks again for listening. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, hopefully this news didn't bum you, <laughs> bum you out. But, uh, you know, hey, if it did, you can always grab a drink and hopefully it'll make you feel better. It always makes me feel a little bit better. So have a great weekend and we will see you next time.